Good morning. What a privilege to be here. I don't often preach with a bottle of bubbly on the stage, so hopefully I'll find out why it's here in a while. I'm kidding. I know why it's here. It's great to be with you. If you are here for the first time, my name's Roger. Nick's uh, mentioned uh, is my wife, and um, it's just a privilege to be here on Easter Sunday. It's the best day of the year. There's lots of objections. Was it a hoax? Did they make the story up? There's lots of people today, in our very day and age, who think that's just a made-up fable, made up by the disciples, made up by the church. The laws of nature just don't compute. How does a dead person come to life? Just Realistic science. We've spent a year and a half, two years going, science tells us what to do, where we can go, what we can wear, what must cover or mustn't cover our faces. Science says this can't happen. Luke chapter 24 says this can happen. Luke chapter 24 verses 1. We're going to read our way through this story. And we're going to do our best to try capture what's going on. Over here, I've got some spices. And we'll see in verse 1, it says, But on the first day of the week, this is after the crucifixion, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They would have taken kind of natural spices with them and they would have done everything they could to bring this corpse. They were prepared to bring this corpse into something that wasn't beginning to stench and rot away. They were expecting the worst. They are mourning. It is about uh, probably 36 hours after his death and anyone who knows this will know that things are starting to get a little funky. So these women are on their way to the tomb and they're laden with spices and there would have been natural herbs and spices to bring some sort of decency to an awful smell and they would have tried to, uh, been prepared to provide some sort of calm in their souls as they're grieving the loss of their hoped for Messiah. These ladies who are going there with one specific purpose, to beautify a corpse, The first Easter was nothing like our Easter's. We woke up this morning and there were Easter eggs strewn across our garden. I don't know how they got there. There were little footprints over the wall and there was lots of excitement. There was joy. There was laughter. The first Easter was nothing like that. No Easter bunnies were hopping about and no excited kids were running around. It was devastating. His body was missing, however. There was no one there in the tomb. So, so what do these do? What do these ladies do? Do they pull out the champagne and pop it and start going, woohoo? Well, it seems they're still in their spices. It seems they're still in the space of going, we don't know what has happened. In verse 4, it says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And they remembered his, his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now you're kind of going, these women are confused. They go back, they've, they've kind of got the smell of spice on them as they're going back, but there's a sense that they're going, oh, which one? Are we popping the champagne or do we still? They, they're confused. And no one's seeing the clues. So, so if you've ever had questions about the resurrection or you've had your doubts, you're in good company. Because we're going to find out that a group of people who first heard and began to witness the resurrected Jesus, they too looked and went, I don't know. Is this the moment? Or is this still what's actually happening? Is death the main thing? Or is celebration the main thing? I don't know if they're starting to see the clues quite yet. You see, the last thing I think they're thinking is that Jesus is alive at this point. I really don't think it. Even though they've been told, I think there's this sense of, can we really believe this? You see, they had been told by Jesus himself that the Son of Man would die and he would rise again. He, he gave a number of clues. He became very obvious, actually, in some of his conversations. I don't know if you remember, he, he spoke a little bit about the sign of Jonah. He said, the Son of Man will give you the sign of Jonah. Anyone know the story of Jonah? He gets swallowed by a whale. Three days later, gets spat out. He's alive. Jesus is simply saying, I'm going to go into a tomb and I'm going to come out alive. He told them that. He looked at the Pharisees and he says, you can kill this temple, but in three days later, it'll, it'll be resurrected. And the Bible says he was talking about his body, not the real temple. He, he, he often would make allusions to the fact that that would happen, but probably just like I would be, didn't make any difference because dead is dead. And it's very hard to imagine just because someone tells you he's alive that he is alive. And so there is this sense of confusion. It's like, can we? No, let's hold on. I think, it's, I think it's the spices. And there's this confusion between the two. So verse 10, it says this. Now it was Mary Magdalene and jo uh, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Sounds like spices are dominating their thinking. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. This one guy, Peter, who gets a hand on the champagne. He goes there. He looks in. Everyone else says, it's an idle tale, but there is one person, his name is Peter, who hears the story from the ladies, and he puts on his running pants like many did yesterday, and he starts running as fast as he can to get to this tomb. And when he gets there, it's as they say. It's empty. It's empty. In come the ladies, they're also running and excited, and they tell the story. There's the sense that they are going, it's happening, and, and Peter catches up. All the other disciples, when they hear the woman coming and saying, the tomb is empty, they go, hmm, much like I would do sometimes, much like much of our society loves cynicism. In fact, celebrates cynicism and goes, you know what? You're great if you're cynical. It's, it's fantastic to be cynical. The cynical person often looks the most intelligent these days. But here, 
There's one guy, Peter, who does what Tim Keller teaches. He doubts his doubts. He takes a deep breath and he goes, could it be? Could it be that the one who walked on water, I saw him, he called me out. Could it be the one that, that also multiplied a couple of loaves and fishes? Could he actually? Uh, and he puts a hand on the champagne. He puts a hand on the bubble and he goes, it might be. And he sprints off to the tomb. So what do we learn maybe from this champagne experience or this lack of champagne in some of the instances of these disciples? Well, here's the one thing. I think the first application we can make is that everyone struggles to believe in the resurrection. Everyone struggles at one point or another. If that's you, it's okay. It's okay. You're in good company. Some of the finest in history, some of the most pr profound biblical people who lived close to Jesus, they first struggled with the resurrection. And I think we too can miss it because we get so familiar. Lauren reminded us in the prayer meeting how if you've been following Jesus for a long time, this story of Easter can become a little bit just familiar. And familiarity breeds contempt. And contempt means you just find it too easy to look at it and go, oh yeah, it's happened. But the joy and the spark of it that we'll see some of these disciples have in a while hasn't arisen in our hearts. We haven't got the sense that, wow, it really did happen. We all struggle. It may be because we're familiar. It may be because we're completely unfamiliar. It may be because we're new to Christianity. We're new to Scripture. We've heard it from a distance, but we've never interrogated it. Hey, there's a beautiful book called The Case for Faith. And maybe you want to read that. Uh, 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 the author basically spends his time telling the story of how he spent so much of his life and energy trying to disprove his wife's pathetic faith in Jesus. He just couldn't believe that she could believe this stuff until he, as an, a lawyer, an attorney, began to study and investigate the claims of Jesus and the claims of the resurrection. And as he began to investigate further and further, he came to some astonishing and terrifying conclusions. And he writes this book basically going, it was at that point that I realized that maybe, just maybe the resurrection did happen. So what do we do with this? Well, I would suggest we look at Peter. We look at Peter who, who leans in towards this story of the resurrection. He begins to embrace it. He begins to, as I said, doubt his doubts and say, maybe, if a God who could create the world, he might also be able to rise from the dead. He may too be able to bring life in a world of darkness and death. So maybe you look at me and you say, big deal, Rog. You know, the authorities could have taken the body. Somebody could have just come in quickly and taken the body. But let me suggest then, why didn't they just produce the body? If they stole the body, why didn't they just produce it? You go, hey, somebody might have just taken it. Then why didn't they show it? When these Christians began to fill the known world with this message, why didn't they say, hey, guys, here it is? Or you might say, no, 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 it wasn't the authority. It was, it was the disciples. They hid the body. This is even more problematic of a, prob of a story. Because if the disciples themselves went, guys, I've got a great idea. Let's go take the body out, let's hide it, and then let's tell the world that he rose from the dead. What a great idea. Who would come up with that? 
not the very people who got crucified themselves and got murdered for saying he rose from the dead. It makes no sense. When you are getting accused and people, Roman authorities are going, do you still believe he's, he's risen from the dead? And they keep going, yes, we do. They say, well, then you're going to die. Well, so be it. There's nothing in it to make the story up. There's no reason followers of Jesus would have made it up and then gone to their death. There is only one conclusion you can make from the behavior of the church was that it must have happened. And that kind of leads me to this thought that the resurrection wasn't created by the church. The church was created by the resurrection. The resurrection wasn't created by the church. They couldn't have made it up. No, the church was created by the resurrection. And what's so profound and beautiful about the resurrection was that Jesus, he rose from the dead as the first fruits, says the scriptures. He was the first one amongst many who would rise again, who would be part of this new kingdom. And that's why the Bible teaches that when you put your faith in Jesus, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that Holy Spirit is God's Spirit, the very same Spirit that breathed life, that rose Jesus from the dead. I want you to think about this, because what's happening in Jesus' resurrection body is more than just the ultimate miracle. You know, like God was kind of going, okay, there's water and wine, and then there's walking on water, and then there's, you know, multiplying food, and then ultimately there's the big one that people just have to believe called the resurrection. No, no, that was, it wasn't just the, the, the sort of cherry on the cake, the final slam dunk of all of God's miracles. It was the, it was the beginning of the new world that God was creating. Mark reminded me today of this beautiful thought that when Jesus is found, he's, some people thought he was a gardener. And it's very significant, says N.T. Wright, that he was gardening because what he was doing there is he was hearkening back to Eden, the very moment where God was creating a new world. And in Jesus' resurrection, he is starting, he is ushering in, he has inaugurated a new world. He's starting something completely fresh. His body is the first among many. Put your faith in Jesus and you start participating in the new creation to come. The whole new world that God is birthing and you by your trust in him and your followership of him, join a kingdom that is upside down, where love comes first, where sacrifice comes first, where the, the last are first, where there is the sense of learning to love Love God and love others. This can't be made up. This is the beautiful story of the church being created by the resurrection, not the resurrection creating, uh, uh, not the other way around. But we keep reading in verse 13, it seems like this was all part of God's plan. That very day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So now they're also a little bit like, ugh, they seem a little down. They've heard the stories. They've got one hand on the champagne, but they've got one hand on the spices because they're still doubting, as sometimes our lives are. One day you wake up with hands on the spices. Other days you wake up like this. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, 
concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. Again, Luke shows us that no one saw this coming. Nobody looked at, at Jesus' words. Nobody looked at Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, that this should happen. Nobody listened to Jesus saying, the Son of Man must be delivered to death and in three days rise again. That was just like they couldn't compute a Messiah who would die and rise again. It just was so out of their, uh, their understanding. They're 11 Ks into this walk. They're still kind of miserable, and they continue. It says, and yes, besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they've got these reports, and they've heard about it, but, but part of them is still going, he's, he's died, we don't, we're still mourning the loss. And part of them is going, but, but, but maybe, maybe? And he said to them, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You think this is an amazing message you're hearing right now. I know you're loving it. Can you imagine having walked on the road to Emmaus and heard the risen Messiah unpacking the scriptures? Because that's exactly what he does. He walks with them and he begins to say, you know Genesis? You remember the story of Adam and Eve, and, and remember that word about a, a one who would come and crush the head of the snake, the serpent? He's arrived. That's the Messiah. He was, that, that's him. And, and, and what about? What about Moses, the one who would lead the people out of Exodus? The, this, he has arrived in, in Jesus. Oh, and, and, and what about the law? He is the one who lived perfectly under the law and, and was absolutely sinless. Oh, and remember the rock that was struck and water came out of it? He was the true rock that was struck, and out of him has come streams of living water. And their eyes are starting to open as they start to hear this guy, and they're going, could it be? Can, can, I, can we let this go? Can we take hold of this? Could there be something worth celebrating? And they're beginning to listen, and maybe he would have then began to talk about some other part of the scriptures, and maybe he gets to David, and he talks about David, the psalmist, and talks about David, the true, the, the amazing king, and he would have said, but do you know that, that Jesus, the Messiah, was the true and better David, who wasn't just a king of Israel, but he was the one who would come as heaven and earth's true king, and he would reconcile all things, and he would be a leader to all people who would come and trust in him. And maybe their hearts are starting to swell up as they, they, their saturated hearts in the Old Testament begin to see, oh, maybe. And maybe his final slam dunk is he would have gone through Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. By his stripes we are healed. And they would have gone, really? Could this be? Can, can I put this down once and for all? Can we begin to celebrate? Did he really rise from the dead? Did he really do that? Is he the true fulfillment of everything we've been reading? 
And that was what this Jesus was trying to say. This was the plan all along. They're beginning for the first time to see, actually, this was not a mistake. This isn't God going, oh my goodness, they've killed him. What do we do next now? Okay, let's rise him from the dead, and then we can just show the world that we're still stronger. No, this from the very beginning was what God had always set out to do, to bring about a beautiful redemption of humanity through his creation, through the, the, the rebellion and, and sin, and then through restoration and reconciliation. He would turn the world around in his love through Jesus and his beautiful life. All of the Old Testament is turning and speaking in shadows and, and foretastes of the Messiah who would come and fulfill all that was needed in humanity. Jesus comes, and in his resurrection, it is wrapped up. There's a bow tied on it, and there's a sense of these people going, oh, really? So they draw near to the village which they were, to which they were going. He acted as if they were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. You can hear that this, this message they've been hearing on the road is a good one. For it's towards evening, and the day is now spent. You know that feeling when the company's so good, and you're so enjoying it. You're going, I just don't want this to end. It's been such a rich time of conversation, and they still haven't realized this is Jesus that they're talking to. They've just got the sense of, he's making sense. This is all working out. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Wow, what an amazing feeling that must have been. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while, we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Jesus eats with them. He culminates this power message of unpacking the Old, script, Old Testament scriptures and revealing that this risen Messiah needed to actually do this. And he doesn't just leave them with a cerebral, beautiful, intellectual thought around how the Old Testament ties into the Messiah. He sits down with them. It's probably my favorite part of this, is that he doesn't end by just giving a message. He has a meal. He has a meal with them, and he sits. And, and in the ancient world, to sit and have a meal spoke about fellowship. It spoke about friendship. It spoke about intimacy and connection. And Jesus wasn't uh, happy just to give them information. He wanted to give them himself. He wanted to give them a relationship. So he sits, and he has a meal with them. hope you're preparing your hearts. We're going to have a meal together in a moment. We're going to eat of this bread and this, uh, this cup, and we are going to celebrate the fact that he is risen. And as you do that, remind yourself he wants to be in your life. He doesn't want you just knowing about him. He wants to sit and he wants to eat with you. He wants to have a meal in your heart and in your life. He wants to know how you feel. He wants to know what you're terrified of. He wants to be a part of who you are. Amazingly, he vanishes. Verse 33, it says, They rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. They have a hand firmly on the bubbly. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Simon. 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. It's not just a meal, but there's also a message. I don't know if you picked that up in verse 33. They arose that same hour and they begin to spread this message. What a beautiful reminder that as you move towards these communion tables, you move towards a God who doesn't just leave you to say, enjoy me. He sends you with the message. And he talks to us and he calls us and he says, go and share this message. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and whilst the band are coming up, I wanna ask my mum to come up. It's not very often that I get, that's you mum, now's your moment. <laughs> and uh, it's not very often that I have my parents in town at the same time that I'm preaching and it's been lovely to have them with us. This is my mum. Janine Haynes, you don't have to say a word, mum, <laughs> except this little poem. No. 19 years ago, I'll try to keep it together. We're talking about a message. It says they arose at that same hour and they shared the message. They went and they told of the risen Jesus. 19 years ago. I try to use Easter as often as I can to spark a passion to share the message. I'm lying on my back in a tent in Hunclip. Anybody been to Hunclip? Hunclip was famous for a kind of rock festival. I wasn't much of a rocker, but I got pulled into a rock festival because my buddies enjoyed it, and they had drugs and I had company, so I gave it to them, and it was a good combination. And we had a massive weekend of doing all kinds of stuff that... Well, probably not ideal to do. And on Easter morning, 19 years ago, my phone rings. And when you're in a state like the one I was in, the last person you want to call you is your mum. <laughs> and very often, I'll have you know, I looked at my phone, and I would just put it on silent and turn it over. Because you don't want, in terrible spaces in life, to face people that speak of a better way, that remind you of a better life. And more importantly that, than just reminding you of a better life, that lived a better life and actually revealed to you the grace of the gospel. Week in and week out, my mom and dad beautifully took us to church, shared the message of the gospel, and did an incredible job of more than just taking us to church. They modeled the grace of God. And like every human being, we choose to go our own way. We choose to turn our back on God, and we choose to turn our back on authorities and how people tell us, and I did a brilliant job of turning my back on God and on people that I knew loved me. But on Easter Sunday, 2003, is that 19 years ago? Yeah. I get a call. And it is very simple. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. Happy Easter. Oh my goodness, it's Easter. Who knew? Had no idea. 
I don't know what else happened in that phone call. But I put it down, and all I heard were these words, it is done. Louder than the voice of my mum who called to say Happy Easter are these beautiful words, it is done. She was the little catalyst and I suppose the powerful catalyst and my mum and dad living a beautiful life of example and, and living the message and the way that they lived. But it was God who came in and used a simple phone call, Happy Easter, that God jumped on and moved into my heart and I heard these words, it is done. And I thought for the moment it was just this lifestyle is done. But it kept ringing and ringing and ringing in my head until it became more and more clear. And I realized this was God saying, it's all done. I only found out in hindsight many uh, weeks later that Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And what he meant in those words was that he had finished the work of dealing with our guilt and our, and our, our, our sinfulness and our rebellion. And he had done everything necessary for us to come to him and to start a whole new life to have our own experience of resurrection, to start in the new life, to start in this new world, this new kingdom that will go forever. There was a messenger. And today as we move towards the communion tables, and I asked my mom if I could embarrass her by bringing her up here, but I wanted to just remind you that sometimes it's as simple as a phone call. How are you? Happy Easter made me think, when last did somebody invite you? Or did you invite somebody? Or when last did you say, can I pray for you? When last did you say something that would help somebody get a little closer to Jesus? When last did they turn you down and say no? I haven't had many no's in a long time. It might be because I haven't made enough asks. The last people who made a request, was recently brought a friend to this church who radically came to faith in Jesus. Friends, I don't think people are saying, no, I just don't think we're asking. I don't think we're picking up the phone enough and saying, happy Easter. How are you? Would you like to join me? Can I pray for you? Can I take you on a journey? Because I have seen the risen Jesus. And I think he is exactly what you need. Today, we're gonna to take a meal with the risen Jesus. We're gonna take a meal together. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your opportunity to simply come to this table. You can do it in your own time. We're not going to take it all together. Just come and grab each of the elements. And we're gonna remember Jesus. And I want to ask you, which part of the resurrection or which part of Jesus' story do you want to remember? Are you just simply taking out the champagne in your heart and eating and drinking and simply going, thank you that you're alive? Maybe it's the plan. You didn't realize that in all these, these uh, lefts and rights of the, the plan of God, where He's got you is actually right where He wants you. Less complaining, more celebrating. This wasn't a mistake. The death and resurrection of Jesus was planned all along right where you are and the pain and the struggles might be right where God wants to redeem you from. Maybe as you take communion, you trust Him freshly that He's not making mistakes. He's got you where He wants you and that you can trust Him. Maybe it's a messenger. Maybe you just want to take communion and go, can I be just a little more like Janine Hates? 
just to love a little more clearly, just to pick up the phone and say, how are you? And to trust that God will use our ordinary calls like he did my mom, and that we'd be those who live this message, who love with a consistency and an honesty that helps people to see the glory of Jesus. Jesus, as we take communion now, I do pray that we would not be too familiar with the beauty of your death and resurrection, but that you would move our hearts, that you would stir us. Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scriptures? I pray that as we sit, as we stand, as we take this meal, that our hearts would burn freshly within us at the possibility of living and walking with the living Jesus. Maybe it's your first time you're taking communion today. Maybe it's your step of faith. You're saying, I'm taking communion because today I want to trust Jesus. Today, I'm choosing to walk with Him. Then you come to the communion table and you take it as though you're saying, yes, I trust you, Jesus. My whole life, I trade. I give it to you. I receive your forgiveness and your grace and your love. And I give you my life to follow you, regardless of the cost. Let's stand. Let's take communion together.